Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Uh, in the meantime, Jonathan de Burke Butler uh, joins us again on News Talk to bring us stories from other parts of the world. Afternoon, Jonathan. Sean, how are you going on? Uh, right, Malawi, uh, we're hmm. going to go to first. And uh, this is interesting. This is a person with albinism sworn into parliament. Maybe you should explain first the context of that Absolutely. because albinism was is dangerous to your uh, to your well-being in certain parts yeah of the world. yeah absolutely and not just because of exposure to the sun and mm. that kind of thing which is a very real thing in that part of the world and it's it's sort of it's one of these things I don't know whether you believe in God or not but it's like a God's playing a joke or something I mean mm. the, the the prevalence of albinism in the world is in uh, is, is most prevalent in sub-saharan Africa right and particularly in Malawi and Tanzania right so compared to Europe and North America the the, the numbers with albinism in that part of the world are quite astonishing and there's about 135,000 people in Malawi who have albinism right mm. and to go back to your point uh, they're persecuted and and I don't mean that people are just calling them names walking down the street they're actually kidnapped killed and, and and taken apart for their body parts because it's believed that there's gold in their bones and there's particularly during elections and things like that it's thought that you know people pay for their body parts in order to bring them good luck and that kind of thing and since about 2014 there's been at least 20 people in Malawi that have been killed uh, as a result of having albinism specifically mm-hmm. for this Never mind the grave robbing and all the other things that happen and go along with it. So it's it's an amazing story, really, and, and I'm delighted to kind of start with it because it's a good news story. It's a, it's about a 42 year old former teacher, a man by the name of Overstone Condoway, okay, and he's won a by election, and and this is big deal because there have been parliamentary representatives with albinism in both uh, Tanzania and Kenya, but they were both appointed. This guy mm. actually won. Yeah, an election yeah. you know people what I mean so people from. actually voted yeah. for him I suppose they saw past the albinism well maybe they didn't see past it but maybe they saw it as a kind of a virtue in a way mm. I don't know and he has taken a seat in parliament and not only that but the president has named him uh, his special advisor on people with disability so it's a great appointment and uh and it's a good news story to start with, I suppose. Uh, and I suppose a, a major indication that perhaps some of those uh, uh, the, the crazier beliefs associated with albinism are starting to be uh, eaten away. Yeah, well, here's uh, hoping, hoping, absolutely, yeah. you know. And uh, but it's a step in the right direction. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, well, equally historic, I would have thought. Uh, mm. Local elections in South Africa and uh, the ANC is losing its dominance. It sure is. Uh, this is the first time that the popular vote uh, for the African National Congress has dipped below fifty percent since. Since uh, 1994, was that one? Yeah, the whole thing there. started. Yeah, yeah there, thereabouts, 1994, and it's quite something. So this, uh, the NC got 40, 46 percent of the popular vote in these local elections, down from 54 percent in 2016. And as I said, it's the first time they've dropped below 50 percent. Now, you might say, oh well, there's another party coming in to fill the vacuum, but the next nearest party to them only won 22 percent. That's the Democratic Alliance, and then way down the list is 10 percent and lots of five and two percenters, that kind mm. of thing. But what it means is, and what it probably indicates is that and Cyril Ramaphosa when he when he was giving his victory speech um, he basically said that leaders must put aside their differences so he's already lining himself up for coalition talks probably in 2024 when yeah. the next general elections are um, and the ANC have gradually been losing uh, you know popularity and and most of it is down to the fact that they're 
really corrupt. Um, yeah, to be yeah. honest with you, <laughs> Ramaphosa uh, part of the problem. Yeah, I, I think Ramaphosa wasn't he brought in to kind of get rid of the uh, well, cloud uh, yeah. left by Joseph Zuma? But yeah. I'm, I'm not sure he's done an amazing job. <laughs> yeah, no. uh, to be honest with you, but there's basic stuff like poor delivery of basic services, water and housing, and that kind of thing as well. And people are just sick of it. And I suppose it's it's a long time now since 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 Mandela's passed on, and you know gradually mm. his his aura is going to leave the party, and when it's replaced by something like jo- Joseph Zuma, who is some unbelievable operator, um, you know it doesn't help things. I think probably Zuma's supporters didn't help the situation as well. Um, Zuma, as you probably know, is in prison, mm. or he's supposed to be in prison. He's actually he got ill when he was first put into prison, and and he's under house arrest now. And that house arrest constitutes going to a funeral a couple of days after these elections and calling on the supporters of ANC to rebel against the current leaders of the ANC. So you can see it's not much of a a prison sentence, really. So he has a lot of sway. Right. So do we know by how much Zuma can affect that vote, I wonder? Well, his... Uh, province, I'm going to say province is probably wrong, but it is province. It's KwaZulu-Natal is where he is most popular. They lost there apparently. So I think in that particular part of the world um, his influence is very uh, very prevalent. Um, right. So it certainly had an effect on, on, on that amount. Now there are some analysts who basically say, ah, oh, look, the Zuma factor isn't that big. But I... I don't think so. Uh, it may be well be enough to have uh, damaged them that oh, way. Oh, certainly, yeah. But it would also in, in, indicate that localism is still quite strong in South Africa. But it's quite like Ireland in yeah. many ways, really, yeah, yeah. the the, uh, uh, the parallels there. Uh, right, Japan we're going to go to uh, next. Now, this is a, uh, this is someone on death row or more than one person on death row who are taking legal action. It's a funny one. It's it's uh, First of all, I was kind of surprised that Japan had death, ro- uh, mm. uh, uh, death sentences. Um, but yeah, it's two death row inmates in Japan are taking legal action action against what they do in Japan, which is basically same day executions. So this is on the day you're executed, you're told that day, right? Today's the day you die, effectively. Mm. You're not given any prior notice. Now, the government basically say that uh, the reason they do that, it's, it's meant to keep prisoners from suffering before their execution. But their lawyers are arguing that, you know, this isn't the right way to do it. People need to be prepared mentally. They need to have a firm date to know when it's going to happen so they can be be ready to, to for mm. the execution. Um, and that's what they're saying. So they're looking for damages. They're looking for 22 million yen each in compensation. So that's the equivalent of about 168,000 euros. Okay. Um, and it's an interesting case. I, I suppose you could say, well, how can they bring a case if the thing hasn't happened yet? But of course, the mental anguish has happened and, it, and that's, yes. that's what they're suing for. Um so, mm. yeah. <laughs> Plus, also, if you win, what are you going to spend the money on? Not much. Well, that's uh, true. Uh, but it, it, I have a feeling that the fact that their their case is being highlighted, they might get a very lengthy stay of execution. Of course, the other side of that could be that they'll turn around and say, right, today's the day, lads. Um, uh, and it's the day before you're supposed to get a, yeah, <laughs> yeah. a verdict on yeah. this. So, yeah. Uh, right, Vietnam, uh, we're going to go to uh, next. And uh, not good news for journalism. No, yet again, uh, and Vietnam doesn't have a brilliant record on this. Uh, Thursday, not last Thursday, but the one before, um, five independent journalists were sentenced to long-term prison terms after a two-day trial, which took place, of course, behind closed door. 
closed doors. So they were members of uh, an organisation called Clean Newspaper Facebook Group. So I assume they were citizen journalists, but that's Mm -hmm. a big deal in Vietnam. And an awful lot of bloggers and Facebook journalists have been thrown in jail. And essentially all they're doing is exposing the government. Uh, That's exactly what they did. In this particular case, they wrote an article um, after an investigation of the provincial party secretary, a man by the name of Ban Vuong Kuang. Kuang okay, he's 56 year old. You'd call him kind of charismatic, uh, clean shaven sort of politician. And uh, he was studying a number of years ago for a PhD, uh, but apparently plagiarised the whole thing. And two university professors exposed him as part of the article. And of course, you know where those university professors are now. They're uh-huh. both in jail as well. Um, so not good. I mean, Vietnam is already ranked 175 out of 180 countries um, on the World Press Freedom Index. So uh, they're not doing very well. And uh, for as long as I know it, anyway, it, yeah. it, it has never been a great place for journalists. Yeah, is it known what his PhD was in? I haven't a clue, to be yeah. honest with you. doesn't matter. It wasn't his PhD <laughs> to, to begin with, anyway. Uh, right, uh, Portugal we're going to go to now, and uh, they've passed a euthanasia bill. They have. Uh, at least the parliament has. Uh, mm. This is an interesting one for two, two reasons. Uh, the first time that the bill passed, it was sent up to the president, and the president kicked it back to the Constitutional Court, right? There was a part in the drafting of the legislation that the president didn't like, okay? And the Constitutional Court agreed with them. They said that the definition for when euthanasia would be possible was imprecise, okay? And so they wanted extra lines put into the legislation that would give it... um, a more definitive, mm. give it a more definitive guide, basically, yeah. right? So I, I won't go into the details of it, but but it basically now that it's gone back to the Parliament, they've voted yes to pass it through by 138 votes to 84, but the President can still send it back again to the Constitutional Court. And what's happened in the meantime is that Parliament has actually collapsed. Now, it's collapsed over a completely thing, different thing altogether. So this legislation will presumably... I'd say the president will take the opportunity to send it back because it will delay it until January at least. Um, and uh, it's it's a bit chaotic there at the moment. It collapsed yeah. over budget talks, um, but it might delay this legislation. Uh, is it known if the president is personally opposed to euthanasia in any event or does he have, you know, is it general concerns about the detail? Uh, you can read a lot into the fact that he's Catholic, I suppose. Um, at least that's what some yeah, people, people would say. Yeah, people are how they're okay. interpreting it, yeah. but of course he, he doesn't have to say. Right, no. now there's a banana war. Who, uh, who's in the midst of the banana war? Well, really what's happening here is that it's it's concerns coming from Latin American producers. This is from a, a group called the Cluster Bananero del Ecuador. Fantastic name. Okay. All right? And they're the, the region's bigger, biggest grower and they represent you know, small, medium-sized banana growers in Ecuador, obviously. And they're concerned that at the moment they're negotiating prices, contracts that are for bananas that are going to the United Kingdom. And they say that the current global situation with, uh, you know, in stuff that's going into it, costs like mm-hmm. raw materials uh, and freight costs aren't being included in the no- negotiation or they aren't being considered in the ne- negotiations. And they're saying that the price that they're being paid for the bananas hasn't gone up in two decades. Now, I don't know if that's I don't know if that's true or not. Yeah. Okay. But certainly it seems very low. Um, they're specifically targeting Aldi in their statement and they're saying that, you know, Aldi are the biggest negotiators with them. They're the ones who set the uh, who set the price and the other 
uh, um, the other supermarkets, sorry, the other supermarkets tend to follow, right? So at the moment, you can get five bananas in the UK and Aldi for 69p. So it's like 13p per banana. Mm. And producers is this, aren't yeah. going to be getting much yeah. back out uh, of that, yes, sorry. for sure, yeah. And mm. is it specifically then the UK-bound bananas they have a difficulty with? Is it different with the European Union? Well, that's instance? a good question. This is where I got that, that story from. So it is a UK-South America, South America story. Yeah. Now, I'm not sure if that broadens out into looking for better prices within the European Union or not. I think these were contract negotiations between Aldi and the UK and... This right. provider, right? But I would, I'm, I'm open to correction on that, absolutely. Uh, so we might see loads of cars coming down from the north or going back up north, <laughs> yes, loaded absolutely. with bananas. Uh, right, so what should we look out for over the next week or so, Jonathan? Sure, yeah. Uh, look, I'm sure you've been keeping an eye on it, but uh, Ethiopia is is gone crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's worth keeping an eye on yeah. because it's going to get, it looks like it's going to get really rather bad. Uh, the Polish president is on his way to Slovakia to pay an official visit there. And I think... Belarus will be on the agenda there. You'll you'll notice that there's an awful lot of trouble going on between Belarus and Poland in terms of um, migrants trying to get into Poland at the moment. So that's probably going to be on the agenda. And then there are parliamentary and presidential elections in Bulgaria this weekend, which will be interesting. Jonathan, thanks a million. As ever, Jonathan de Burke Butler, there you are listening to the Moncrief Show on Newstalk. Going to take a break. Moncrief on Newstalk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again.